0: Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bible, turn in those to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 16. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas holiday. So today we read in John chapter 16. We'll read from verses 16 through 22. And what I see, the kind of the point of the passage, is found in verse 20. We'll talk about that more. I'm not going to preach just quite yet. But what I see is that Jesus is trying to turn their grief, their sorrow, into joy. Notice with me, John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22 He says this. Jesus is speaking. "In says, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again, in a little while, you will see me. But some of his disciples, confused, they said to one another, what is this thing that he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me, and again, you will see me and then because i go to the father so they were saying what is what is that he says a little while and we do not know what he is talking about but jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them are you deliberating together about this that i have said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me verily verily truly truly amen amen i say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, hurt she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief for now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. Amen. John chapter 16 is where we will unpack and land today. We'll spend all of our time there in those six or seven verses that we read aloud together. Before I go in too far, though, I would like to read a section of Scripture, and then I would like to pray with you all. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They are enlightening to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servants are warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Keep me back, your servant, from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we come before you today to hear from you. We're not here for some academic exercise. We're not here just to learn a little bit more, but we are here to hear from you and your word. Lord, I pray your spirit today would be here to help us remember, to help us teach, and help us guide us into all truth. Lord, that we would be dependent and walk by your spirit according to your word. I pray that you would bless today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again. Thank you all for being here. I, I suspected that many of us here today would would not be present just because we are exhausted. But thank you for being here, even though you probably brazen. your um, sleeplessness This morning I would like to Begin with a question What are the marks Of a true Disciple of Jesus Christ What are the marks Of a true believer In Jesus Christ About 15 years ago I wrote a book on that exact matter Yes your, your pastor wrote a book It needs to be edited That's why y'all don't know about it um, And what I did was 15 years ago I was a, a very young man, about 21 years old And perhaps I was overly zealous at the time But what I did was I just took all four gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John And I just kind of scoured, investigated the pages of scripture And I just tried to understand what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ And I came up with seven marks Seven things that describe a disciple of Jesus Christ And I will list them for you right now a disciple of Jesus Christ is silent. They listen to God. They serve. They serve and love one another. They are sent. They make disciples and they witness. They are secure. They have faith in God. They are surrendered. They deny themselves, take up the cross and follow Christ. They are submitted. They, humble. they have humble obedience to God's will and they have supplication. They pray to the Lord. But as I look over that list, one is missing. There is a mark that I did not see some 15 years ago that I see every day more and more in the scripture itself. And especially as we unpack the upper room discourse, what is missing? What is the one mark that we've seen over and over again? What is missing? John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you so that my Joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. John sixteen, twenty four, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. John seventeen thirteen, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy joy and peace in believing so that you are bound in hope by the power of the holy spirit philippians chapter 4 verse 4 rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice first peter 1 8 and though you have not seen me you have loved me you have loved him and though you do not see him now but believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory What is a mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ? We should be marked by our joy. But how do we get it? How do we get the joy that God has for us? Because we live in a world that is not full of joy. We live and experience things in life that really sap our joy, that drain it away from us, slowly but surely, that sap our energy and the joy that we have from the Holy Spirit and that God has given to us. How do we turn our grief into joy? That is the question I seek to answer this morning. How do we take grief and turn it into joy? And why do I answer this question? It's because Jesus answers that in John chapter 16, verse 16 through 22. We see his disciples. Their energy is sapped. Their hope is disappearing. Their joy is fleeting. And Jesus speaks directly to them in that moment. He teaches them and he teaches us even today how to turn grief. That word grief, and we'll talk about that more here in just a minute. That word grief in verse 20 is the Greek word lupe. It means deep sadness or anguish. He teaches them how to take that anguish and turn it into overwhelming delight in the Lord. So if you have your Bible, if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 16. And that is kind of our quest, is how do we turn grief into joy. And just to let us quickly remember where we are in the story of the Gospel of John. We are, of course, in the Upper Room Discourse. We have been in the Upper Room Discourse, John chapter 13 through 17. We have been in that section of Scripture for a long time. And when we come into John chapter 16, what is really about to happen? Jesus is about to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified, and he's about to lay in a tomb for three days. Three weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and then that's that pericope, that section of Scripture, what is Jesus talking to the disciples about? He's telling them that they will be persecuted. They will be sought after, sought by the world, they will be tried for their faith. And what does Jesus tell them? Three weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Jesus tells his disciples this, is that when they are persecuted, what should they do? They should remember the truth so that they will not lose faith and not lose heart. And then two weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. He kind of turns the corner. He reminds them of the gift of the Spirit of God. In John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, he answers the question, how does the arrival of the Holy Spirit help us? How does it change us? The arrival of the the Holy Spirit does what? It is really three things described. In John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, it, it gives comfort to the hurting It convicts the world of sin and it clarifies truth to the believers. But how, you know, okay, it's it's easy for us today to kind of disconnect from the story. Because it happened 2,000 years ago in a country we've probably never visited and to a group of people we've never met. So how do you think the disciples, though, are feeling in this moment? I'm going to say three things. Number one, that they are scared. John chapter 14, verse 1. They are fearful for their leader is leaving. They are frustrated. Why? Because their leader has said that they are leaving. And oh, by the way, they have to wait for the helper. So there's going to be a period of time where they're left all alone. They're probably a little bit irritated. But then most importantly, as we see that they are grieved. They are scared, frustrated, and grieved. Because they will be persecuted, that deri- the arrival of the Spirit is delayed, and oh, by the way, their leader is leaving. And that's where we pick up today. But in that moment, in the moment that they experience Lupe, where they experience great anguish and sadness, in the moment that they experience sorrow and grief, Jesus meets them there. You know, friends, listen to me. We don't just experience the love of the Savior through the cross, but we experience the love of the Savior through the gift of the Spirit and the joy that we have on earth. And that's what he reminds his disciples of in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. And I'm going to first, I want you to kind of skip down in your text with me to verse 20. We're going to unpack that first, because what I see in John chapter 16, verse 20, is kind of the point of the passage. Verse 20 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, that you will weep and lament. Great. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot like, of thanks. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, lupe, but your grief will be turned into joy. I want you to notice real quick in verse 20, the first two words there, it says truly, truly. Maybe your translation says verily, verily. And in the, in the original language, Jesus says Aman, amen, amen. What is Jesus doing? He uses those two words 25 times in the Gospel of John. Amen, amen. He says it 25 times, and what he is doing, he is calling his attention, the disciples' attention to the truth he is about to unveil. When Jesus says truly, truly, it is like me saying, hey, friends, listen up. Listen to what I'm about to say. What he's about to say is uber, uber important. And what does Jesus say? He says, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, but you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. That word turn right there in the original language is the Greek word, "ginomai." It means to become or to be born again, to be changed. The word grief there, as I've already mentioned, is the Greek word, lupe. It means deep anguish or sadness. So what is Jesus telling them? That the Spirit's arrival will allow them to push out, in a sense, the grief that they have at that moment and to experience joy that is overflowing. They've become, they are changed into becoming more and more delighting in the Spirit of God and in Christ. That is the central premise or point of the passage. That is the subject we would say in fancy homiletical terms. But how do they get it? You know, verse 20 is kind of, The point, but how do they get joy? Jesus gives them three different principles. If you notice in your text, verse 16, he gives them three principles to really turn their sadness into joy. But I want you to notice first, before I really give you the first principle, I want you to notice verse 16. It's a little confusing. So notice it. In a little while, you will no longer see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. What is he talking about there? How can we turn sorrow into joy? If you have your notes, principle number one is that we find joy by remembering the resurrection. Find joy by remembering the resurrection. Now, in verse 16, it doesn't seem real complicated, but it kind of is if you really want to dig down a little bit deeper into the original language. But what's interesting is as I was unpacking verse 16, I looked at the Greek, I translated it, and it's just so vivid. Kind of give you an illustration. Reading the Bible in English is like reading the Bible in black and white. And reading the Bible in Greek is like reading the Bible in high-definition color. You see the same basic image, but the Greek gives so much more detail because what you don't see in english is that jesus actually uses two different words for c s e e notice the first one there is one word and then the second one is a second word what he literally means is this a little while and you will no longer see me and again in a little while you will see me you will see me in a completely different light What is Jesus talking about here? When when, when will they not see him? And when will they again see him? You know, being a pastor, really we we appear maybe to be perfect sometimes. We're far from it. Uh, And we are broken and sinful. That's why we need Jesus too. Amen. And we are strange. Uh, And I'm a bit strange because Thursday morning, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but Thursday morning at 6.30 in the morning, whatever reason I was up that early, uh, I was at 6.30 in the morning, and I just woke up just meditating on this one verse, and I was trying to figure out what does Jesus actually mean by a little while you'll no longer see me, and again in a little while you will see me. There was there was confusion at Thursday morning at 6.30, and I felt just like the disciples. Notice the disciples are confused too. Verse 17. And some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you no longer see me, and again in a little while, you will see me, and because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is that he says, a little while, we do not know what he is talking about. They are just, they are mad confused here. But notice that they have three different questions. They take Jesus' statement in verse 16, and they come up with three questions that they seek to have answers for. Question number one is, what is he telling us by Verse 16. Question number two is, what does he mean that he goes to the Father? And then question number three that they have is, what does Jesus mean by a little while? The the third question they have is a sense of time. They are stumped. They are confused. But let's give them a little bit of grace. Why do I say that? Because they've been up all day. It's Thursday night, friends. They just had the Passover meal. They spent the Passover meal in John 13 and 14. They left at the end of John 14, heading toward the Mount of Olives. They haven't slept yet. So it's like me, Christmas Eve night at 3 a.m. I was uh, sleep deprived and putting together this little wood kitchen for my daughters just to see a smile on their face. Can anybody relate to me in the room? Okay, so that's them right now. They're, They're sleep deprived. They're deranged. They don't really understand what is going on. But there's something a little bit deeper. They're more than sleep deprived, but they are struggling to understand the plan of God. They're trying to understand what God's course and events of actions are to come. Can I just speak to us in this room? Aren't we just like the disciples a lot of times? We don't really understand why God is doing what he is doing. We don't understand why God is allowing us to go through certain seasons of life. We all are just like the disciples, that we struggle to really understand the plan of God. And what I love about Jesus is he's not here shaming them. He's in there. He meets them in their sorrow and in their confusion. Notice verse 16. I'm going to actually explain it now, what Jesus is talking about. And what I found interesting in John chapter 16 is that scholars like to argue about this stuff. If you if you ever want to see a little bit of theological drama, just pick up about three or four different commentaries and see the the food fight that is happening in commentaries. It's quite fun sometimes. And we see them kind of having a, a mud fight here, and I saw them in commentaries. But the meaning of 16 is actually quite plain. Jesus says, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again in a little while you will see me. What is Jesus talking about? There are three different possibilities here for verse 16. Possibility number one is that Jesus is referring to his eschatological return, his return at the rapture. Possibility number two is that Jesus is referring to the coming of the Spirit, his ascension and the arrival of the Spirit. And possibility number three he's talking about is his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's start with the least likely answer. Some people think in verse 16 that he's talking about his ascension, that they will no longer see him after his ascension, and they descension in the ascension, excuse me, they will no longer see him in the ascension, but then they will see him again in the rapture. But then it would make sense for Jesus to say in verse 16 a little while, because the disciples don't see that day in their lifetime. But the possibility number two is that Jesus is talking about his ascension and then the descension of the Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Now, This meaning of verse 16 that he is talking about, they will see me through the Spirit, that fits really well in the context, because in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God. And then we see here, all throughout the upper room discourse, the triune nature of God, that when he says, he will see me, he's talking about the Spirit descending. And that would make sense, but it's not... Sorry, I disagree with a very prominent pastor, and he is way smarter than I am. But I can disagree with him. It's okay. But the possibility that I see in verse 16 is Jesus is talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. That they will no longer see him. What does he mean by that? That one day, very soon, within the next 12 hours, in a little while. It's the wee hours of the morning, right before he is crucified. It's probably 3 a.m. They're sitting up on the Mount of Olives. And no wonder they fall asleep when Jesus tells them to pray. They fall asleep, and, and he says to them, in a little while, Oh, by the way, in a little while, Judas is going to betray me, and then I will be crucified on the Mount of Golgotha. And then they will no longer see me, but then they will really see him in his glory in his, after his resurrection. In my opinion, verse 16 is describing Jesus' death and resurrection. But then I want you to notice how his resurrection changes their lives how it turns grief into joy notice verse 20 again truly truly i say to you that you will weep and lament why because their savior is dead for three days but the world will rejoice why because the savior is dead for three days and you will grieve but your grief will be turned into mourning principle number one turn your sorrow into grief by remembering the resurrection let's just ask the question how does the resurrection turn our grief into joy? How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus being raised raised from the dead, how does that turn our thought from joy in from sorrow into joy? Well, think about it from the disciples' perspective. They, they're a sorrow for three days, but then that Easter morning, what do they then know? That the moment that the rock is rolled back and the moment they see Jesus raised from the dead, what do they at that exact moment know? They know that, number one, that Jesus has not left them as orphans, that Jesus lives and that he reigns, that all of the promises that God has given to them will be fulfilled, that they did not just waste three years of their life, that their Savior is a loving God that cares for them, that is raised from the dead. On that Easter morning, they are joyful. They turn sorrow into joy. Number two, the reason the resurrection gives them joy is because their friend lives. Friends, listen to me. I know we say this a lot, but our Savior lives. Amen? If our Savior doesn't live, then go home. What are we doing here? Because if our Savior is still dead, how do we know that the promises of God are true? They aren't. But the Spirit of God... Jesus Christ does live on that day, on that Easter morning. They see their sorrow is dissipated because they see their Savior is raised from the dead. And number three, the reason the resurrection gives them joy is because they know for sure that the message of Jesus Christ is true. Then notice the second principle that from turning grief into joy, verse 20 and 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. Lupe, I say to you, you will reap and lament because I am in the grave, but the world will rejoice because I am in the grave. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Why? Verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her labor has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer is the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into this world. Principle number one, to turn your joy, sorrow into joy, not joy into sorrow, excuse me. Turn your sorrow into joy is by remembering the resurrection. And number two is by remembering that suffering is temporary. Suffering is temporary. Jesus uses an illustration a metaphor in verse 21 to demonstrate this principle. Notice again with me, whenever a woman is in labor... She has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into this world. I'm just going to pause real quick, and I I just want to say after I read I I have a tremendous amount of respect for women, and I truly mean that. You ladies have more power and ability than we men would ever have to do anything. This way, if it were up to men to give birth, the human race would be dead in one generation, okay? No way. I'm too wimpy to go through that. But Jesus says in verse 21, Whenever a woman is in labor because her hour has come, but when she gives birth, she no longer is remembered the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into this world. What is Jesus' point here? Is that suffering is temporary that the suffering that they will experience, that he is in the grave for three days, is temporary because he will be raised from the dead. Their suffering is temporary and our suffering is temporary. Friends, I am not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing any trials and anguish and the the difficulties that you've been through. But all suffering in comparison to eternity is temporary. If you're, and this is you. This is you. If you live 80 years, okay, and every day of your life is suffering, that is still temporary in comparison to eternity. If you are experiencing difficulty, if you are in anguish, or if you are in lupé, suffering and sadness... Remember that even if you experience tremendous tragedy on this side of heaven, that it is always temporary in comparison to eternity. That one day we will see our Savior and he will make all things new. So principle number one, principle number two, and then notice principle number three for turning sorrow into joy in verse 22. Therefore, he is bringing it to a conclusion If you ever see the word therefore, is therefore a reason. Because of what I just said, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, you too have grief for now, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Principle number three is this. Turn your sorrow into joy by remembering your heart will rejoice when you see your Savior. There is a joy that only Christians can have. There is a there is a joy that only Christians can have. Only Christians can have everlasting and eternal joy. You know, friends, I, I'm not uh, ignorant enough to realize that the world cannot bring you some semblance of happiness. I was... I was going through John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 some couple of months ago and somebody sent me an email and kind of was kind of correcting my, my, my exegesis at that particular moment. It's cool. Like, you want to send me an email about something I got wrong? That's cool. I'm human. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Uh, just be prepared. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to get you. Okay. But this guy was basically saying, uh, Byron, you know, the world of possessions can bring you some semblance of happiness and joy. It can for a moment any joy, any happiness that the world of possessions give you is temporary. Only Christians can have everlasting joy. The world experiences temporal joy. You know, I am very joyful. I am very happy, so to speak, when I go home. I I love my house. It's a very comfortable house. But my house cannot make me eternally joyful. It is a superficial joy, not an eternal joy. The world experiences temporal joy all the time. That's why we like buying things, because it gives us a satisfaction. But that satisfaction is only for a moment. If you truly want to experience joy, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. There is a consistency and continuity that only Christ can give. Why? He is the only one that delivers us from this world. He is the only one that promises us eternal life. He is the only one that gives us eternal joy. Something that can never be taken away. I want you to notice again verse 22. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the resurrection. And the moment that they see him in the resurrection, what will happen? And your hearts will rejoice. Why? Because they're no longer orphans. All the promises of God will come to pass. And the truth that they, he has conveyed to them for three years is true. And notice at the end of verse 22, and no one will take your joy away from you. That the joy that they will experience that Easter morning will last forever. Friends, listen to me. If you're seeking joy alone in earthly possessions, you will be sorely disappointed. they are going to have to keep buying iPhones to make you feel better about your life. Only Christ Jesus, through His Word and through the truth and in the work of the Holy Spirit, can truly bring you eternal joy that will last forever. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You. I like to say to young people that if you live long enough, you will experience tragedy. Can I get an amen to that one? You will suffer. You will experience grief. You will experience lupe, what he says in the original language right here. You will experience sorrow and grief. But Christians have something else that the world does not, amen, that we have... Power through the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word that one day all of this will be made new. You know, Laurel and I, my wife and I, whom I introduced to you on Christmas Eve, my wife and I have experienced great tragedy and trials, but there is still joy. There is joy in the hope of eternal life. There is joy in knowing that my eternal future is secure. There is joy knowing my grief is temporary. There is joy knowing that I will see Jesus face to face. Think about that day. Friends, listen to me. Think about the day that you will see Jesus face to face, just like them They saw Jesus face-to-face again at the moment of the resurrection. And we will see Jesus face-to-face when one of two things happens. Either when he comes down and takes us up. Lord, please come and deliver us from this madness of this world. Can I get an amen? It is crazy out there, friends. That we will see him face-to-face when he raptures us. Or we will see him face-to-face when we pass on from this life. But either way, one day... You will see Jesus with your own eyes. You will see him as he truly is. And maybe that day is the day that you pass on from this earth and you leave behind your ailing body and you embrace your eternal home. One day, you and I will see Jesus and what a day that will be. The day we see Jesus is the day that we will realize that all of his promises are true. One day we will see Jesus and then that day will never end. For a believer in Jesus Christ, grief is temporary. For a believer in Jesus Christ, death is not the end, but it is merely the beginning. For a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you see your Savior, that moment will never end. How do you turn sorrow into joy? Turn your sorrow into joy by remembering the resurrection, by remembering The pains of childbirth. Suffering is temporary. And by remembering that you will rejoice when you see your Savior. That's the point of the passage. Now I must close. But I want to tell you something. I want to talk to two different groups of people before I close. And it's the same two groups of people every Sunday morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what should you do with this message? You know... The truth of God's word is beautiful and it's wonderful, but we must prove ourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers, as Dwight said last week. So what do we do with it? What do we do with these three principles? Let's let's just answer the question. Okay, so who's Jesus talking to again here? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and what does Jesus want them to do? What is Jesus doing? He is preparing them for what is to come. He knows the future. He knows that they will be deeply sad because he will be tried before before Herod. He will be tried before Pontius Pilate. He will be tried before the chief priests and the scribes. He will be then crucified and he will be put in a tomb of a, uh, he will be put in a rich man's tomb and he will be almost seemingly forgotten about. They he, they will be very very sad. He is preparing them for what is to come. And he, Jesus is saying that in that moment, remember, 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 remember that you will see me again. Remember that your suffering is temporary. Remember this. That's my application for you today. Is this. File it away. File this sermon, these principles away in your mind. Because one day, if you're young, or if you're of any age really, you will experience suffering. Amen? That's just the reality of life. So put this sermon away. Put it in the file away in your mind that one day you will experience something that you never thought you would and you will have to reach back into your mind and say, I remember Byron some 25 years ago was talking about turning sorrow into joy and then what did he say? Pull it up from the back of your mind that Christ's resurrection brings us joy, that suffering is temporary and that we will see one day our Savior with our own eyes in heaven. file it away. But this, this joy is not promised to everyone. It is not promised to everyone who has ever lived, but only to those who are believers in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. In fact, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted him, if he has never become master of your life, if you have been running from the Lord for as long as you can remember, if you're online and you're just hearing me talk and you're not sure where your relationship with God is, then joy, if you're not a believer, is not promised to you. In fact, it's the opposite. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, death will not be triumphant, but it will be traumatic. If you die without Jesus Christ as Savior of your life, the Bible teaches that you will end up in hell. Preachers don't like talking about that. They either like talking about it a whole lot because it puts fear into people and people go go to the altar or they never talk about it at all. But let's not run from it. And I'm not sitting here firing brimstone to you. I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you or make you fearful of believing in Jesus Christ because one day you will end up in hell. It's just what the Bible teaches. Don't be mad at me. It's just the truth. Sorry. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the day that you die will not be triumphant. It will be traumatic. Can I get an amen? It will not be pleasant for you. But you have a choice. You don't have to be that way. Jesus Christ has come and not only has he given you joy but he's given you the gift of eternal life and earthly abundant life Jesus Christ why did Jesus Christ come he came to die for my sin to pay for my debt in full and to give me the gift of eternal life by faith in him if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ if he has not become lord and savior of your life then today you have an opportunity to believe believe turn repent follow him with your life. If you have any questions about that, feel free to see me after the service or talk to anybody that you see here that's been at Calvary for a long period of time. I'm sure they would love to answer any questions that you have. Pray with me, friends. Heavenly Father, I know I'm ending early today. Uh, Lord, I, uh, you know, Lord, I pray that we would not seek joy in this world, but that we would remember and we would seek the joy that only you can give. Lord, many of us here today, because of the Christmas holidays, forgetting or forgoing what we used to have, having the sorrow and tragedy of many people passing here at Calvary Bible Church, Lord, I just pray for joy for them, that they would just experience the Spirit of God through the truth of your word, this is supernatural delight that you can only give. Lord, be with them in the midst of their grief and sorrow, in the midst of their lupe. And Lord, I just pray that we would file this sermon away. Because one day we will struggle to understand your ways. One day we would be just like the disciples, not understanding why you've allowed what you've allowed in our life. And Lord, one day I pray the Spirit of God would take the truth of your word and help us remember and help us clarify to help us walk by the Spirit of God it today and i thank you for today i thank you for this church what a man i lord i just want to say um, i love this church these are my people these are my peeps as i used to say and lord I thank you for each of them thank you for those that are tuning in online for those that aren't here that are traveling i just pray for blessing upon them keep them safe and i just thank you for today may you be glorified and we lift it up in jesus name